invite you this evening to turn with me to Paul's writing in the book of Romans, chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We'll be reading this evening the entire chapter. Romans chapter 7. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That it is good. So, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law. 
that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh... I serve the law of sin. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's word to us this evening. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank thee, Lord, for this precious book that thou hast given unto us. And at this time we may open to a portion. We pray for Pastor Bob that he will deliver thy word through the help of thy Holy Spirit unto us, and that we may take it in, so that we may live our lives that are faithful in serving thee. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. In full disclosure of the message tonight, much of that which uh, we will be covering in this message is found in G.I. Williamson's The Westminster Confession of Faith for Study Classes. The reason I acknowledge it is, number one, it may be familiar to many of you, and you're going to go, that sounds like Williamson. So, just so you know, that's where it's coming from. The second reason is this. As I was uh, researching and looking through various articles on the topic of free will, um, Williamson's chapter in this study guide kept kept being referenced over and over and over again as perhaps one of the most clear, precise, um, and I'll say easy to understand ways of presenting uh, this ninth chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith on the subject of free will. Because you see, that's what we've been doing, right? We're going through the Westminster Confession. We dealt uh, the last several Sundays with the fact of Christ is the mediator. Uh, That brings about the subject, then, of free will. And it also raises the question, do we believe in it? Um, one, of, one of the problems we have as Reformed folks is uh, the, the fact that uh, there is a misconception about the Reformed faith that we are the folks who don't believe in free will. Well, depending on how you define it. So that's where we're going to begin. We need to understand the term. What does this term free will mean? Let me first of all give you probably the most common false view. The most common false view of what free will is. If you ask most people, okay, probably of some religious nature or whatever, What is free will? They would probably respond something along this order. Man has the ability to do good or evil. Or perhaps even shorter, man can do good or evil. Man can choose. Man can decide. Man gets to decide he can do that which is good or man can decide that he can do that which is evil. The problem with that particular definition of free will is it does not take 
sin very seriously, and it certainly does not take the effects of sin seriously. A biblical view of free will, which ought to be of more concern to us, would look at it more like this, that man's will is free in that it is not coerced or forced by any outside forces to do something that he does not himself want to do. So, in the sense that we believe in free will, it's the idea that there is nothing external to man that forces man to do something that man himself does not have a desire to do. Man is free to do what he wants within his ability to do so. So, I'll I'll get, you know, this is, this is not Williamson. Williamson would not, I don't want to blame Williamson for my illustrations, okay? But th- this would be a kind of a far out, right, idea. I might will to fly. I might will that without any other device or apparatus, I might fly. I might desire that, right? So let's put it to effect. If I start back here and run as fast as I can and just leap because I desire to do it, I'll do it, right? Shall we give it a test? Sandy's saying, no, we don't need another fall because then I'll have to put up with, you know, this aches, this aches, this aches. Because we know very well what's going to happen. I don't have the ability to fly. Right? I, I don't have that ability. So in a biblical understanding, man has freedom that perhaps we'd be better to say has the liberty. Man is free to do good or evil But he doesn't have the ability to do so. Just like I am free to desire to fly, but I do not have the ability to do so. Let me give you a text. Turn with me. Keep your finger here at Romans 7. We're eventually going to come back here. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be down at verse 33. Jesus is speaking. And and the subject head, if you you look above it, is a, a tree is known by its fruit. Either make, Jesus says in verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now Jesus' point is this. It's not an exterior thing. The evil is not from the outside. The tree is not bad because of some external force upon it. The tree is bad because that which is inside is bad. And the tree is good and produces good fruit, not because of some external force forcing it. Tree, you must, you must, you must. It's because that which is in the tree is good, and therefore it produces that which is good. Taken to the spiritual level, Jesus is saying the will is determined by our soul. And if the soul is evil, so is the will. If the soul is good, so will the will be. So, yes, we believe, as Reformed believers, in free will properly defined. Williamson keeps coming back to saying, you know, one of the things we ought to get used to saying is the phrase, we have the liberty, but not the ability. The liberty, but not the ability. That's what we mean and understand by free will. The world and many religious folks have a different definition. They're looking at it as being, I can decide at any particular time to do good. Every human being can at any moment decide to do good or they can decide to do evil. It's up to the individual. Okay? And they, they can determine to do that at any moment. And the biblical reform view is more, they might have the liberty to do it. Nothing constrains them. There is no outside force outside of them forcing them to do either good or evil. But there is a lack of ability to do it because of that which they are as a person. So let's put this to to four stages, to to four applications. And and let's seek to understand how this works before we get back to Romans chapter 7. Man, let's look at man as created in creation. Genesis chapter 1, right? We have two key terms that come to us. As man is created, he is created, one, in the image of God, And two, he is created very good. And what does that mean in terms of free will? Man, in creation, had the liberty to do either good or evil. Man had that liberty. He he had the freedom to do good. 
that God is not controlling some strings. God is not moving Adam as some sort of puppeteer, forcing him, okay, to, to do good. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to make Adam run away from the tree today. I'm going to make Adam run away from the tree today. I'm going to make Adam run away from the tree today. And, and God is applying some exterior force upon Adam to keep him from eating. One day, however, though, God, as the master puppeteer, made Adam go to the tree. And then he lifted up Adam's hand. He forced Adam to take it. No. Okay? Adam was in liberty. There are no strings attached. God's not applying some exterior force upon Adam to force him, to compel him to do anything. But because of the biblical terms, in God's image, meaning he is like unto God, and that it is all very good, it also means that man had complete ability to do good. That in his soul, man not only had the liberty to do good, but he could actually do it. God created Adam in such a way that one could say it would have been possible based upon God's creation of Adam that Adam never would have eaten of the tree. He had the ability. It isn't that God created Adam with some weakness, some failing point, some Achilles heel. And that you know, I, God said, you know, I'm going to make him in my image. I'm going to make him very good, but he's got this one little weakness. And boy, if, if that weakness gets, gets used in some way, oh, Adam's sure to fall. Adam not only had liberty to do good, he had the ability to do that which was right as well. There was nothing, nothing, okay, in terms of his creation, in terms of his being, that was somehow either internally or externally forcing Adam to take. But he does take, right? He does eat. What does that do? Oh, that ends free will. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. So the second thing is, let's look at man after the fall. The liberty to do good is still there. There is no change. In Adam's situation, from the day before he ate of the tree to the day after he ate of the tree, in terms of liberty, in terms of his freedom, from outside forces to in some way be forced into a decision. Flip Wilson, and that era was entirely wrong. The devil never makes us do it. The devil cannot force anyone to sin. The devil can tempt. 
but he cannot force. Why? Because man has liberty. This is the way God has created and endowed man. Not only in creation, but even in the fall. He still has that liberty. What has changed is man's ability now to do good. Once he ate of that fruit, once he took hold of that fruit and ate, his ability to do good is now that which changed. Why? Because the interior of the tree changed, to use Jesus' words. That which was his nature changed. That which was his being changed. That which was his soul changed. Due to his own sinful nature, man no longer has the ability to do that which is good. So we read a few chapters later, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The thoughts of man's heart are only evil continually. The thoughts of his heart, his soul, is only evil continually. It's not Satan is forcing them to sin over and over and over and over again. No. It's that which is on the inside. See, we're not compelled by some outside force to sin. It is our own nature. See, there would be those, to go back to that first definition, who would say, no, our sinful nature doesn't have anything to do with it. If I decide to choose to do good, I can do good because I don't have a sinful nature. I have a neutral nature. And if on some day I decide to do good, I can do good. If on some day I can decide to choose to be a Christian, I can choose to be a Christian. I can do that on my own because I have this, as it were, neutral nature. I have free will. And we as Reformed believers would respond and say, yes, you have free will. You have liberty, but you do not have the ability anymore. Because now you have a nature within you, not exterior forcing you, but your own nature, your own desires, your own enticement, your own eyes, your own lust of your heart, as John talks about it in 1 John, that draws you into sin. It's from within. So we still have the liberty, but we have lost the ability to do so. Jeremiah 13, 23, can a leopard change his spots? Well, then neither can my people ever rid themselves of sin. Uh, a leopard can't go, today no spots. Today no spots. Right? It can't wake up in the morning and go, today I will have no spots upon me. It can't. Why? Because it's part of its nature. And God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah, that's the way my people are. Right? You can't just wake up in the morning and say, no sin. Can't do it. We can't do that as fallen human beings. 
Or we could go to the, the passages in Romans, Romans 3, right? No one understands, no one, okay? All have fallen short of the glory of God, quoting from Psalms and quoting from Isaiah, okay? Reminding us of the fact that, yeah, we all have this nature, this sinful nature. We all have this inability, inability to do that which is good. We have the liberty to do that which is good, but not the ability to do it. But then what happens? Don't, isn't there a point and stage at which this fallen, sinful creature, you and I, say, oh, I'm such a mess. I'm going to choose the right thing, Christ. I'm going to choose to do the right thing. Can a leopard wake up one morning and say, I'm going to change my spots? I'm going to rid myself of my spots? No. Can a fallen sinful being one day say to oneself, I am going to follow Christ? No. John 6, 44. No one can come Unless the Father draws him. Grace alone. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. It was not me seeking him. But him seeking me. It was not my loving him. But his loving me. It's only by grace. It's only by grace. I don't have the free will to choose Christ. That's, a, that's that term that we use sometime when we talk about Arminianism. Arminianism teaches that you can at any time, sinful, sinful creature as you are, can choose to be the leper who, leopard who wakes up one morning and says, I will change my spots. And we say, I'm sorry, the Bible will not allow us to do that. Biblical truth keeps coming back and saying, no, I have this sinful nature and this sinful nature so overwhelms me that I can never wake up on my own someday and choose Christ. That unless the Father draws me, unless God's grace intervenes into my life, that's why we sing, right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That's saved. What? Saved a wretch. Well, how am I a wretch if I just have a neutral nature? I'm not such a wretch then. I made a nice decision. I made a good decision. Right? A, a, a true Arminian cannot sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I wasn't a wretch. I was a pretty good guy. I made a nice decision. God ought to save me. I, I decided to follow Jesus. But you see, in our Reformed and biblical perspective, we come back to the, to the point of, I can't save myself. It's only grace, only grace, only grace. So if God so intervenes into my life, 
with grace. How does that change things? Well, what am I? I'm, I'm regenerated. I'm born again. Right? So, so let's, let's say, okay, so we saw a man in creation. We saw a man in the fall. What does man look like as he's regenerated? Guess what? Man still retains the same liberty. There is still no compelling outside force forcing me. There are still no strings attached to me. God's not, oh, I redeemed you. Now I'm going to put you on some strings and force you to do everything, Bob. No, I still have liberty. The same liberty that Adam had before he fell, the same liberty that Adam had after he fell, is the same liberty that Bob and you and I have after we are regenerated. What's the difference then? The difference is in this ability. Because you see, now that we are regenerated, now that we've been born again, we have again the ability to do that which is good. We are a new creature in Christ. Galatians chapter 6 verse 15. But even more importantly, you have Ezekiel chapter 36. I will put within them a new heart. What was Jesus' point in Matthew chapter 12? It's out of the heart. It's out of the heart. What has God done? He's given us a new heart. He has given us a new heart. So that what? That out of the heart we might produce that which is good. We are a new creature with a new heart. That's what God has done in our regeneration. Our situation of liberty hasn't changed. We still have free will. It's our ability now has changed. We now can actually do that which glorifies and honors and pleases the Lord our God. You say, well then... Where does Romans 7 come in? Because that confuses me. Because Paul is saying, for the good I want, I do not want to do. I do the very thing that I hate. Who, what a wretched man that I am. Who can rescue me from this? We have liberty as those who are regenerated. And we have the ability to do good but we still have a sinful nature. We still can sin. Fallen man only has that sinful nature. They can only do that which is evil. But we've been given a new heart. We are new creatures. And we still deal, maybe the better way to say it is, we still deal with the aftermath of that sinful nature, living, as Paul uses the expression, within our members. It's still there. It's still part of us. No, it's not in control, but we still see it. And you see, the struggle Paul is going with in here is the fact that he knows he's regenerated. He knows he's redeemed. He knows he has a new heart. He knows he has a new spirit. He knows he has the ability now to do that which is good. Whereas before, he could care less if he sinned. It didn't bother him a bit if he sinned. 
It wasn't on his conscience at all. Now, now that he's been regenerated, now when he sins, even the least of sins, it's not, well, you see, I, I'm, I'm a sinful person. I can only do that which is sinful. No. See, he knows the tension. He, he knows the warfare going on within his heart. He knows the warfare going on within his life. He has now the ability to do that which is good. And yet, those members, that sin that, that still is tucked into the corners of his life, sometimes draws him and entices him. And he knows he can't blame the outside forces. He knows he can't blame other people and other things and other situations. He knows it's him. He knows that tucked away in this redeemed body, tucked away somewhere in this born-again body, somewhere there, there are still these, these remnants of sin that emerge in his life, and when they do, he is torn by that sin. He considers himself a wretched man because of that sin. Why? Because he knows that he has the ability to do good. And he did not do it. The good that he would, he does not. And the evil that he would not, that he does. It's a glorious thing is not to be redeemed. It's a glorious thing to know God's grace. But you see, one of the things God's grace does is it helps us to see our sin. It helps us to see more clearly our sin and even the smallest sins in our lives. We consider ourselves wretched. Paul's not saying I'm not a Christian because of this. Paul's not saying I'm not a believer because of this. Thanks be to God. He gives me the victory in Jesus Christ. Therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. But you see, for Paul the question is not at this point, at this stage, at your and my stage... The question is not, where am I going? And who am I in Christ? The question is, how am I dealing with sin in my life? Am I truly seeking to rid my life of sin? Or am I blaming it on outside forces? Am I truly looking at my heart? And hating that sin. Despising that sin. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. He gives us the victory. See, Paul reminds us, yes, we are in the process of being sanctified. We are in the process of being made holy. But that's not an excuse for ongoing sin. 
in our own hearts, in our own lives. But there is one more, man in glory. Oh, that day. That's why Paul could write in Philippians, right? (laughs) Far better, far better to be with Christ. Why is it far better? What makes glory far better than life here? What makes glory far better? Well, compare glory to Romans 7. In glory, liberty doesn't change. God doesn't change that free will of ours. We're still at liberty. There's still no strings attached to us, forcing us. Now sing my praises, sing my praises, sing my praises. There's still no strings, it's still liberty. But here is the glorious part. I now have the ability to do only that which is good. To never sin again. To never struggle with sin again. In John's description for us of glory, describes that this is a place where, where there are no sinners anymore. Just saints. Where there is no more night. Where there is no more night. And oh, there is the depth of that meaning, isn't there? Because is it not how often at night as we lay upon our beds that that sin of the day comes back to our hearts? How could I have done that? How could I have acted that way? How could I have said that? I'm a Christian. But you see, in glory, there's no more night. Why? Because I only have the ability to do that which is good. No sin. No sin. Forever and ever and ever. For the Apostle Paul who wrestled so with sin in this chapter of Romans. To be able to write then. Far better. Far better to be with Christ. That it is. Engage, my friend. Engage my heart in the battle, in the warfare of sin in our own hearts. But looking forward in that glorious hope and expectation to no more night. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Ah, what a blessing. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you again for your word to us tonight. This is not easy. This is, this is somewhat complicated stuff. And yet your word lays it out for us clearly. Your word teaches us who we are in Christ and who we are if we are outside of Christ who we were in creation and who we will be in glory.
Father, what a, a blessing it is to engage in the struggle with sin. It is a blessing because it comes as a reminder. The only reason we struggle with our sin is because we're a new creature in Christ. We have a new heart. We're at war with members of our own body. Father, may we look to Christ who gives us the victory day after day after day. In his name we pray. And God's people say, amen. 433, 433. And uh, we'll sing verses 1 through 4, Ashley, and then we'll use those last two stanzas as our doxology tonight. 433. Hear this parting word of the Lord to you, his saints. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Go in his name and live in the victory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.